University Baptist Church is a faith community striving to think critically, live creatively, and love continually in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. We gather on Sunday mornings at 5775 Highland Road between Lee Drive and Kenilworth Parkland. Visit ubc-br.org or at ubcbr on Facebook for more information. Now, from time to time, uh, we discover that we are maybe using products all wrong, and there's actually a more productive way to use them. So take, for example, eating an Oreo uh, with, with milk. This is a very important thing that you have to do every single day. Now, typically, there's two philosophies. There's dip the cookie into the milk, or throw them all at the bottom and then use a spoon to, to eat them up. But, but when you're dipping, that method is somewhat challenging because it almost feels like you're going to miss out on a portion of the cookie. It's almost like the, the Achilles tendon, if you will, uh, of, of the Oreo. There's a piece of it that's never going to be fulfilled. Or if you throw them all at the bottom, well, they're all soggy at the bottom, and who wants mushy Oreos? But did you know that actually the Oreos designed when eating with milk to be used with a fork? So you simply stuff, uh, put the fork into the stuff on the side, and that way you can make sure the full cookie is immersed in all the milk as it's needed to. You're welcome. If there's anything you learned from worship today, there you go. Or if you ever struggle to cook that perfect toasted sandwich on the griddle in the same way that you get it from the sandwich shop, did you know that you could actually turn your toaster on the side to make that perfect toasted sandwich or grilled cheese sandwich? Now, if you burn your house down, don't blame that on me. But I'm just saying sometimes we look at products and we maybe have misunderstood how we're called to use them. Really, in some sort of fun way, this is the invitation of Jesus. Jesus is inviting us to look at this world differently than the way that we have seen this world. The way that we see our lives, the way that we see how we interact in these things. In fact, what Jesus is trying to show us is that this world is backwards or it's upside down. And he is in the process of turning it right side up or forwards. We've been in this series in which we are looking at the parables of Jesus from the Gospel of Luke. And through parable, we're seeing how Jesus is turning a backward world in the right direction. And our text for this morning is equally challenging to this. And so we look at the Gospel of Luke, chapter 12, verse 13. It says, Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, man, who appointed me a judge or arbitrator between you? Have you ever been in the middle of a project and it gets interrupted? That's Jesus in this moment, except his project is preaching to a crowd of people. And based on the context of Luke chapter 12, it's been some pretty heavy teaching from Jesus because he's warning the people of hypocrisy of religious people. How often we will praise God with one hand and with the other hand take advantage of the poor. And then this guy interrupts Jesus to ask him to be a civil judge between he and his brother as they were having some sort of estate dispute. And I adore Jesus' response to this guy. Uh, guy, that's not my job. That's, that's why we have civil officials to deal with these things. But seeing right at the heart of this interpretation, Jesus says this in verse 14. Watch out. 
Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Pump the brakes, Jesus. Let's get off this bus right here. This guy asked you to be an arbitrator between he and his brother. He said nothing about greed and possessions. You see, turning point of this conversation is what makes Jesus challenging to so many people. Most of us are 100% on with Jesus when he tells us that God is love, that I am forgiven, that the grace of God pours over into our lives, and that in the end of all things, we will have eternity in God's presence. But we start to have issues with Jesus when we start to read these types of red letters from Jesus in our Bible. Jesus turns to the crowd and says to them, beware. He cautions them. He tells them to watch out. Be on your guard against greed. The Greek word used here is phaonixia, uh, which, which means literally numerically wanting more. Proverbs 15, 27 says that the greedy bring ruin to their household. Proverbs 28, 25 says the greedy stir up conflict. So what is greed? Greed is when you want more and more, no matter what it takes for you to get it. A biblical example. King David had a kingdom, he had an army, he had a beautiful wife, but then he wanted Uriah's wife. So he slept with her, got her pregnant, and then had her husband offed. That's greed. The second word he uses here that we need to, to look at is abundance. Parasio, which which literally translates to exceed, to have leftovers, to overflow. So imagine you have a cup, and you want to fill that cup with the most delicious drink on earth, naked juice. If you've never had naked juice, it is the nectar of the gods. But abundance is where you, you don't just pour into your cup, but you pour into it, it overflows and begins to spill over onto the ground and onto the table. That's abundance. And the third key word that Jesus uses here is possessions. Now, this word he uses here is, is very interesting because it means to be or to exist. It's almost as if he's saying that possessions creates this sense of worth in your life. Therefore, be on your guard against greed because the abundance of possessions doesn't sum up who you are as an individual. Now, if that doesn't preach a thousand words about the desires to have possessions, I don't know what does. And to illustrate his point, he's going to tell a parable. And he says this in verse 16. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store a surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. So this farmer yields a fantastic crop. In fact, he has so much grain that he's unable to store them in his barn, so what does he do? He, he thinks to himself, I'll build bigger barns and store abundance in them. And is it just me, or, or does the farmer not seem to be wicked? He hasn't gained his wealth illegally or by taking advantage of other people. For, further, he, he's not portrayed as particularly greedy. Indeed, he seems to, 
be somewhat surprised by his good fortune as he appears to do the reasonable thing to reap the abundance of his harvest. So what's wrong with this picture? Over the last year or so, my nine-year-old has become more and more fascinated with space. So my parents got for her birthday a telescope. And honestly, she's not been able to take advantage of it in Baton Rouge because Baton Rouge is actually one of Louisiana's worst cities for what's called light pollution. Light pollution is the combination of uh, suburban development, street lights, commercial lights, and sky glow, and this makes it nearly impossible to see any constellations in the night sky. However, when we went on our trip to Colorado in July, removing ourselves from the glow of the city into the national parks, these are some of the stunning sights that we were able to see. We've got an example here. And then the next one here. You see, sometimes when we step outside of what we know, when we step outside of what we normally see, we can never see beyond our limited perspective. And that's what Jesus is trying to do with this parable. He's inviting us to step outside of our normal set of circumstances to see the world as he desires for us to see. And this is the theological perspective that Jesus draws a conclusion to in verse 20. He says, But God said to him, You fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is what it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. And Jesus adds this phrase in verse 34. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You see, the core of this parable is actually not about riches and wealth and possessions. Jesus never says in the Gospels that God wants everyone to be poor and unable to provide for their needs. In fact, I believe that God does want to provide for us in what we need and enjoy life and success. And the proof of this is in verse 21 when Jesus said what, what all this comes down to is that this person did not store up riches towards God. It might be a sigh of relief. But what this parable is about is, is the heart. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. For the farmer in the parable, his heart was hell-bent on bigger barns and more grain so that he could finally come to a place of ease, eating, drinking, and being merry. And there's nothing wrong with the desire to eat, drink, and be merry. In fact, how often does Jesus portray the kingdom of God as a great party? Wasn't Jesus' first miracle turning water into wine at a party? <laughs> so this man's heart was an issue. And he had fixed his life on this future ideal of happiness that he will do whatever it takes to get there. And he says in the future tense, this is what I'll do. Then I will say to myself. His heart has become so fixated on the, on the treasures of future success and comfort and ease that he will do whatever it takes now to get him to that future circumstances. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This conversation with the man that inspired the telling of this parable has the same issue. He's, he's so fixed 
on the treasure he needs now that he's so hell-bent that that is his mission on whatever it takes. And it's here that most people take two routes. The first route is to tune out the pastor because they don't want to hear this nonsense about consuming ourselves in the present for the future success and comfort. The second route is to say that I don't have a heart issue with greed or possessions, so this parable isn't for me. Have you ever had one of those periods in your life where, where you don't feel like you have a free moment of time? This summer, after I left the office for the day, I found myself every single day in the evenings was booked with projects. And then on the weekend, it was more projects. So there was the garage cleaning project, the building a turtle pond for the girls project, the ongoing grass mowing project, the fixing the cabinet door project, on and on and on. And then to top it all off, I would work in the evenings to plan our family's road trip to Colorado. I had planned down to the science of packing and traveling and eating and camping and sightseeing and adventures and more. They say that if you, if you don't know what your heart desires, then follow your money or your calendar. And that is the very personal and introspective journey that all of us have to take. However, I bet if all of us were to go on to our online banking or look at our most recent credit card statement or thumb open our calendar app, we would see the passions and interests and time and attention and care that we give to something. And for many, that treasure is work. And there's a difference between work and workaholics. There's a difference between doing your job well and obsessing over your work that it consumes your every waking thought and time and relationship. For others, that treasure might be in knowing what's going on in other people's lives. So there's an endless thumbing through of Instagram and Facebook and Twitter and Snapchat and YouTube, or adversely, other people's treasure is garnering the attention of other people so they constantly post online. And I'll say it again, knowing that I'm not going to win a popularity contest, but what happens two miles down the road on a Saturday in the fall is the treasure of so many. And it's not just going to the games, but it's the way in which our entire weekend routine, from tailgating to dress to talking about the upcoming game to talking about the game from last week, our lives become so consumed with it. And if you want to know what your treasure is, then look at how you spend your money and spend your time. Relationships, vacations, homes, cars, restaurants, craft beer, fine wine, binge-watching TV, fitness, dieting, home projects, and investing, family, sports, possessions, clothes, politics, news. Jesus says, follow your treasure and you'll find your heart. But here is where we get wrong and often get offended. There's nothing inherently wrong with any of these things. I'll be the first to say that I have enjoyed nothing more than watching Alabama football games in the last decade in which they've won four national titles, just in the last decade. Four. Four. Not one. Four. So where is the blunder in these interests and passions? And how do they relate to the parable of bigger barns? Jennifer and I carefully watch um, our bills in the last month, I noticed that our Cox internet bill jumped up $25, and I called the company to find out why, and the customer service rep joyfully informed me that our package deal had expired, and we're actually starting to pay the 
actual normal fee for the internet speed that we have. However, if I wanted to pay $25 less, then I could have uh, slower internet. Or if I wanted to simply pay $10 more, I could have even faster internet. Curiously, I said, how many different levels of internet speed can I, can I go up to? He said, well, there's actually three more speeds faster than what you have, and we're working on even faster speeds. It seems as though there's an endless cycle of billing options and speeds for the local internet provider. See, this is the heart of this parable. The human heart follows its treasure with its time, its money, and its attention. And the heart doesn't realize it, but it's on an endless cycle of more. For the farmer in the parable, more crops meant bigger barns which guarantee greater surplus for the future success and comfort. He tells himself that he will do whatever it takes to get to that point later on in his life. But is there ever an end to that cycle? He didn't realize that just like a horse that has a carrot attached to a string is leading him along that no matter how fast he goes, no matter how far he goes, that carrot is always going to be out of reach. And our culture is an endless cycle of more. We've been taught that in order to be happy and satisfied and secure and successful, that we always need to have more clothes, better seats at the game, more power, more stuff, more money, a bigger house, uh, and better care. Our culture has taught us that, that we always should get what we want in order to get ahead. And what we don't realize is that each step in that cycle, there is no end to that cycle. We will never be content. There's always going to be one more project to accomplish, one more gadget to buy, one more event to attend, one more restaurant to check out, one more meeting to sit through, one more, one more, one more, one more. During uh, the COVID-19 stay-at-home order, we found ourselves, like many other people, um, decluttering our house and setting things to the side to donate to Goodwill. The problem was that it sat in our garage for months because Goodwill wasn't receiving any sort of donation. So day after day, week after week, we kept looking at this stuff that we wanted to get rid of. And the irony is that 99.9% .9 of the stuff in that pile was items that we once thought we needed so desperately. That outfit, those tools, that book. And when you really stop and think about it, Goodwill is just full of old treasures discarded to make room for new ones. I found this image of this perfectly named uh, Goodwill store, Life's Treasures. <laughs> See, as one person put it, our relationship to things is not really materialism, but consumerism. We're not really attached to our things, which is materialism, but detached from them, which is consumerism. I think what consumerism reveals to us is that we don't really know what we want. Because we're constantly going for something more, something else, what it really boils down to is we don't know what we want. So we'll tear down those barns to build bigger ones to fill it with more grain, only to eventually tear down those barns to fill them with even more grain. And the point of Jesus telling us this parable is not to say that we should not have wealth or comfort, or happiness, or things we enjoy doing. Please hear me when I say that. That is not what Jesus is trying to say. 
If that were the case, Jesus would have ended the parable with, and this is what happens when you're rich towards stuff. The end, boom, mic drop. I think Jesus is trying to raise a question within our soul as to what we really want. What's the point of all this? What's the point of all of our work and all of our toil? What's the point of buying this thing or that thing? What's the point of spending our time on this or that? Maybe the root of this parable is to force us to ask the question, why? Why do I do this? Why do I tumble into the cycle of more? Why do I tear down smaller barns in order to build bigger ones? Why do I do what I do? Why do I exist? See, God created us and knows the finite nature by which our lives exist. James puts it this way in James 4, 14. What is your life but a mist here today and gone tomorrow? And God knows that we spend our entire lives consumed by the endless cycle of more and more and more. And God knows that we will invest whatever it takes, time, passion, attention, money, relationships, to get what we think we need. But why? During the COVID-19 pandemic, experts said that there was this surge of first-time investors flooding the market. So people were staying at home, and they had more time in their hands. They decided to do something with their money. And many companies that, whose sales were, were floundering during the stay-at-home order all of a sudden found a surge in sold stocks. And think about buying stock in a company. Take, for example, Apple. Now, I'm a huge Apple person. I have an Apple phone, watch, tablet, computer, a TV. Uh, it seems like all my products are Apple. And the quality of that product matters to me because it dictates how my work and exercise routine and entertainment, how successful those things are. However, I also own stock in Apple. Now, I don't just care about my Apple product. But now I care about Apple's overall sales because my financial investment is wrapped up in the success or failure of that company. This is the turning point that Jesus is trying to get us to in the parable of the bigger barns. What you invest your heart in, you invest your life. We can invest our lives in an endless cycle of more, or we can invest and the kingdom of God. And Jesus is inviting us to invest in something else altogether. Jesus says in verse 21, this is how it'll be for anyone who stores up things for himself but is not rich towards God. And then he says this in verse 31 later on, but seek God's kingdom and these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock, for God has pleased to give you the kingdom Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purse for yourself that will not wear out. A treasure in heaven that will never fail for where no thief can come in or moth destroy. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Let those words sink in for just a second. Soak them in. And as if it wasn't obvious from the parable, Jesus clearly conveys that the, the pursuit of more will always lead to something that will rust. Moths will always ruin it. Someone will always take it from us. 
But alternatively, Jesus assures us that when we follow him, it leads us out of a cycle of more and into investing in things that will transform our life and the world. And in no way is Jesus trying to stop us from working out or stop us from investing financially or stop us from going to a football game or stop us from enjoying fine food, but instead he's asking us to recenter our lives on him. And it's by following him that we now see our world and how we act and how we use our time and how we spend our money much differently. It shows us that there is something greater in this world than the cycle of more and more and more. And because we become less consumed with the cycle of more, our eyes are open to the fact that God has provided for our needs. But also, as he says in verse 33, so that we can provide for the needs of other people. And by doing this, we are being the hands and feet of God in our world. Jesus is, invest, is, is asking us to invest our lives in him and the work of the kingdom. And this parable begs the question, are we a consumer or an investor in Jesus? Are we as much of an investor in Jesus that we're willing to tear down our smaller barns to build bigger ones in the kingdom of God? And if we're an investor in Jesus, just how much are we willing to invest? And are we willing to do whatever it takes to ensure that our present and future journey with Jesus are on the path of success? What would our lives, our families, our churches, our community, and our world look like if we individually chose to invest our lives in Jesus? And what is our worry? For those investing their lives in Jesus, God says to us, do not be afraid, little flock, for I am pleased to give you the kingdom of God.